welcome back to the wise man's page the daily podcast where we read a page of the wise man's fear and then we talk about it today's episode we're going to read page 876 and then talk about that and here's how the page goes made 10 times worse by recent events a boy of 12 or so wasn't as cautious as the rest and came right up to me eyeing my sword my cloak what's your name i asked him pete can you ride a horse pete he looked insulted snuff do you know where the walker farm is he nodded about north two miles by the millway I stepped sideways and handed him the reins to the roan. Go tell them their daughter's home. Then let them use the horse to come back to town. He had a leg over the horse before I could offer him a hand up. I kept a hand on the reins long enough to shorten the stirrups so he wouldn't kill himself on the way there. If you make it there and back without breaking your head or my horse's leg, I'll give you a penny. I said, you'll give me two. He said. I laughed. He wheeled the horse around and was gone. The man had wandered closer in the meantime, gathering around me in a loose circle. A tall, balding fellow with a scowl and a grizzled beard seemed to appoint himself leader. So who are you? He asked, his tone speaking more clearly than his words. Who the hell are you? Quoth, I answered pleasantly. And yourself? Don't know as that's any of your business, he growled. What are you doing here? What the hell are you doing here with our two girls? God's mother, Seth, an older man said to him. You don't have the sense God gave a dog. That's no way to talk to the... Don't give me any of your lip, Benjamin. The scowling man bristled back. We've got a good right to know who he is. He turned to me and took a few steps in front of everyone else. You one of those trooper bastards what came through here? I shook my head and attempted to look harmless. No. I think you are. I think you look kind of like one of them, ruh. You got them eyes. The men around him craned to get a better look at my face. God, Seth, the old fellow chimed in again. None of them had red hair. You remember hair like that. He ain't one of them. Why would I bring them back if I'd been one of the men who took them? I pointed out. His expression grew darker and he continued his slow advance. You getting smart with me, boy? Maybe you think all of us are stupid here? You think the page ended? I do think that. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Recording from the bottom of a well. It's cold down here in the dark. Quiet, you. Actually, don't be quiet. Uh, I want to hear your opinion on the page, Jeremy. One thing that leaps out to me is that this is a very uncomfortable scene to read. And I think that we are justifiably kind of concerned for Quoth's safety, shaking our heads at the, the inevitability of this misunderstanding. But I also think it's a really compelling and well-realized portrait of people who aren't necessarily evil but who are behaving very badly for very understandable emotional reasons in particular an example i want to point to is like when quoth very logically and calmly says if i was one of the guys who kidnapped them why would i come back here and the guy because he knows that there is no rational answer for that it just makes him matter because he knows on some level that he's being irrational and stupid yeah he just gets defensive that seems very true to life to me because if you have ever been in an argument with somebody and you point out very rationally why what they're doing is wrong they will just get mad <laughs> at you for pointing it out what are you talking about the way to win any argument is to calmly and rationally point out the holes in your uh, in your opponent's <laughs> argument that has never failed <laughs> <laughs> It really speaks to me of uh, of the frustration of impotence that the men 
especially like as we'll learn on the future page like this group same group of men like couldn't solve this with violence they tried and failed so they're sort of redirecting that frustration on Quoth because now there's a chance that they can like feel like they accomplished something yeah yeah that's definitely can... the 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 underpinning animus of the next couple of pages is that that sense mm-hmm. yeah the pages make me mad <laughs> I'm so mad about it. Yeah, me too. Why? Because I don't like how people are... St- I don't like that people are stupid. That's my problem. I hate that people are stupid. I understand why he's frustrated, but even if Quoth was the bad guy, do you really think that, like, m- making him know that you know you know he's a bad guy or whatever would really be, like, the right thing to do here? Would that Would that be... Would that solve your problem? No. Would that enable you to, like, capture him? Probably not, because he'd be on to you right away. <laughs> like, I don't know if I agree with that, because I think if Quoth really was one of the bandits that kidnapped these girls and came back to this town for some reason, they have him outnumbered, like, five to one, and, you know, he's not on a horse. So I think they really could, like, beat him to death if they wanted to. Yeah, but it also doesn't make any sense that, like, if if he was a bandit, why would, um, like, there, there really is no reason... Unless Obviously they were pretending not. to be a savior of some form. In which case, like, the minute that, that like, something like this occurred, he'd just be like, you know what, guys? I'm just going to leave. Bye. And then they would lose their opportunity. I think they could easily prevent him from escaping if that's what they wanted to do. But I think the larger point of this passage is that this impulse to to vengeance doesn't actually do the girls any good. On the next couple of pages, these guys try to work out their issues through violence and Quoth works out his frustrations on them through violence. And everybody kind of realizes shortly thereafter that, Oh, none of that is actually doing any good for the two women who ostensibly were all mad about the kidnapping of. My feeling in this scene is not that these guys are mad or frustrated because they want to help the women. Uh, My feeling is that they're mad and frustrated because they couldn't do the thing they wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, you're spot on. And sure, the reason they wanted to do that thing was initially for the good purpose of helping them. But I think at this point, it's it's beyond that. They're just mad that they couldn't do yeah, the thing. Yeah, you're they you're spot on, Jordana. They're they're yeah, emasculated. Yeah. And I think it is clear in the chapter that they're not thinking about the girls. They're not thinking about what's best for the girls. They're really only focused on working out their own frustrations and their own issues. And I remember reading this initially and thinking that this did not ring true and that this was frustrating, like how obtuse they were. Sadly, I'd say this rings a bit more true now with all the accounts of like, you know, police executing bystanders or uh, arresting the wrong people. Not to take it to a really dark place, but think of the cops in Uvalde who did not go into the school to rescue the children, but did but did prevent one of the parents from going in to try to rescue her child and like tackled her to the ground and hurt her doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sadly, I think that is an example of this where they're, they're feeling frustrated and, uh, and impotent. And so they work out those frustrations on someone who doesn't deserve it, who isn't, but who is like showing them to be weak and, and craven. Uh, so that's exactly yes. what's happening here, sadly, though it is a really dark place. One other thing I want to talk about is a, a third party observation about Quoth, which, which, his hair, which, uh, which is his hair. Like, you remember hair like that? Quoth, obviously, we know he has fiery hair, but he doesn't look at himself. He tries to cultivate an image, but he doesn't know what impression he gives off. So when we get information like this 
from an observer, an impartial observer, that we should take that as really important information because he's clearly like cuts a striking figure and he's memorable. And that's probably part of why his, uh, his story is able to spread because he has this like extremely identifying feature and everyone who glimpsed him will know that they saw him. It's worth noting though, also that the one guy said he had them eyes, which could mean, I think like two things. Um, it could mean that like other are known to have kind of color changing looking eyes or it could mean that like close eyes are doing that thing where they become a darker color and therefore reveal that like he's done something terrible or he's in a bad mood. He definitely you know? has weird eyes. He has like strange multicolored eyes that change. Interesting to think that maybe all Ra have, have the funny eyes. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence of that, but there's no evidence of not because obviously we haven't like encountered too many Ra and had their eyes described to us. I think it's just like in, in this context, I read it as, it's another striking feature of his and it's something easy for them to latch onto. Like as like an outsider. Yeah, yes. Like, he, he had the, the sloping brow of a career criminal, you know, yeah. it's, just, it's just like, <laughs> you know, a feature. I didn't trust him because he had that look about him, you know? So yeah, like that's, that's kind of how I read it. Like I, this does raise the question of whether there are like physical racial stereotypes about the Ra in the same way that there are physical racial stereotypes about like Roma people, for example. The evidence of the text, like Quoth does not say that like, oh, all the Ra look like X. And in fact, because we know that people who are not ethnically Ra can still be adopted into a Ra family, that it doesn't make sense for them to have homogenous ethnic features. Yeah, exactly. They can't possibly have ethnic features. So I think what this is, is these townies either have a racial stereotype of the Ra that Quoth fits into, or they are literally just making something up because they don't like to look at this stranger. Right? And like, that seems, that's what I think it is to me because the one guy goes, come on, he doesn't look like one of them. What are you talking about? You've never seen this guy before in your life. I think it says something about Rothfuss that, uh, I mean, not always, but oftentimes those who are like elderly, not positioned to be conventionally masculine are the ones who are, wiser we meet the character of gran a bit later in this chapter who is perhaps the most sensible talker among the villagers of levenshire i don't know if this is necessarily something that the book is intending to say or if it's simply like a piece of shorthand for someone with a bit more experience or someone who's a bit displaced from virile youth masculinity and of those areas less likely to behave this way. Like I said in a previous episode, I'm I'm far more tuned into the critique of masculinity that this book, or at least this act of the book is is making than I was in previous reads. I wouldn't have said this was like a central theme in a previous read, but where we are now, I'm starting to think that maybe it is. I mean, I feel like it might be in this section of the book. I don't know that it's as focused on, on other sections of the book. And I think the reason why it might be more focused on in this section of the book is because it's the section after the Adem. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's just, it's in the, uh, what is the word I'm looking Juxtaposed. No, yes. But also it's, it's lifting up that contrast. It's making that contrast more obvious. Emphasizing. It is emphasizing that mm. contrast. Now, one of the problems that we're having here is that it's really hard to discern what the theme or themes of a book are if you do not have the complete story in front of you so you can see what the book is ultimately trying to say. So... That's one reason why uh, it will become much more illuminating to look for the themes in this book once we have the Doors of Stone. 
No argument there. Reasonable. We have a letter today, if anyone is interested. Mailbag. This is from the Wolf of Jersey, who writes, Expounding on Age and Rebirth. Hello, Pagers 3. I finally got to the episode where you have where I have been given my epitaph, Wolf of Jersey, which I love and accept. Thank you. I wanted to expound on my thoughts of why I think Denna is the child of Lanra and Lyra. I have three thoughts and explanations on this. One is a time loop, which, like Jeremy, I am not a fan of, but I think is a plausible option. I would be disappointed in the story work if it is, honestly. It just feels kind of cheap for all the work several thousand pages would do to be a time loop. Second is the immortality piece. Haliax actually being Celatos and Lanra actually being Telu, just living forever, could explain Denna. When we meet Denna, Rothis doesn't actually age her. He guesses she is Kvoth's age, maybe a year older, but goes on to explain how she acted and moved with a grace beyond her years. It always stuck out to me that he doesn't age her precisely, doesn't confirm her age, and immediately explains how she seemed more grounded with a childlike exuberance. It was a great explanation for me on how she'd been so many places already, fortified relationships in places like with Dayok, spending enough time dating him and breaking his heart. I like to think Dayok wouldn't date a 15-year-old and would know better. And has so much life experience seeming so young. She just looks young and has a young-at-heart spirit, a direct comparison to Quoth, who looks young and seems old AF in the interludes. My third, which I am leaning towards, is a rebirth. I've been chewing over this one a lot. The whole there's only one story thing makes me think it's all the same cast. It's all the same story, history doomed to repeat itself. We've proven that in the real world, and it would be an interesting reflection. Dennis' family doomed to fall apart while she searches for a way to stop the cycle. Did Haliax just get caught in the storm as a rebirth of Celatos, as a rebirth of the listener in the cave? There's only one story, it's so repeated and lived in, I just really think it's all one story and people are just fated to fall into it. Maybe the Tinkers are the Fae descendants who make sure the story plays out every couple hundred years. Jordana, have you at least been convinced? Or at least to go back on the fence? Thanks for, for brightening my days, guys. Signed, The Wolf of Jersey. Shockingly, I am not back on the fence. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't think so. I just, nope, there's not enough there for me. Really? Yeah. I don't know. It oh. just doesn't click in my brain, like... I don't know. Except, I mean, the I like the time loop is very much not. I, I cannot be convinced of the time loop. Yeah, no, no. I'm I'm actually less. <laughs> I'm less thinking that it's a time loop. But I think it's. I like the idea of the kind of like the repeating story. Um, and the other thing that doesn't raise is the potential that there's sort of like time skips. That when Denna goes away, she is kind of nowhere, or she sort of she sort of stops in time, or there's time stretches like what happened in Faye. So she could be you know that actual age but she's existed for longer because there's been sort of like time stretches where she's skipped or jumped around like that particular detail i'm like maybe i'm i I might be on the fence about that particular detail that it's like maybe she's older than she seems kind of thing but not in like a not in like a like i don't believe that this is like a family thing where the where the story is repeating itself with like generations of the same like the same characters but also not the same people like i don't no no the only thing that i would say speaks against the idea of her being like very very old is that i think if she was immortal she would treat quoth differently she would treat most of the people differently like she would think of them more as like as children or something yeah i don't think she's immortal i would i would be fine with like she's older than she looks would be fine but i definitely like i don't i feel like she's not i don't think she's fae I don't know how she's the moon or if she's the moon. I mostly say those things because I think they're funny, actually, because I like I, I believe she's connected to the moon, but I don't think she is the moon. 
Jordana, are you trolling? Like, they're fun things to think about. But if I have to think about, like, do I truly believe this? I don't think that Denna is becoming the moon. I just think that she's somewhere Wait a minute, Jordana, have you have you said things on this podcast that you don't believe 100%? Yeah, you guys do that all the time. Excuse me? Jordana, how how dare you? How this dare is, you, This madam? is a double standard. How could oh, you besmirch us so? I would... I... I... I'm just so mad I can't even speak right now. I think we have to end the episode. I think so. I think we have to end the episode and have a, a frank discussion about what we, about how we speak to each other and the respect that we afford one another. Totally unfounded accusations of, of falsehood and double dealing. Uh, listeners, we'll see you tomorrow on another page of the wind. <laughs>